first of all, for those of you tuning in for the second episode, you have all been bamboozled. (laughs) I've listened to my first podcast over and over again, and I have found that I really did not represent myself in my true glory. And what a lot of people won't tell you, even though every single one of you already know it, listening to the sound of your recorded voice sucks. And since most of my listeners are my family and friends, and you are statistically the between the ages of 35 and 44, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Answering machines, those were the worst fucking piece of evidence that you sound like a fucking moron outside of your own head. But the most common comment that I heard from my family and friends about episode one was, wow, you sound so nice. Well, (laughs) that's because I bought a microphone and its whole purpose is to make me sound nice. But the part that gets me the most frustrated is... I stood behind a chair and did hair for about 20 years. And I know myself pretty well. I'm animated as fuck. And I'm I'm sure with time it will get better. But eventually you guys are going to see my authentic self. But also having a conversation or telling yourself a story for 45 minutes to an hour, that really isn't for the faint at heart. And it's hard as fuck. <laughs> oh, by the way, hi, I'm Jasmine, and welcome to episode two of Madam Jasmine's Dark Parlor. <laughs> um, This episode is about the Basin Park Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And in the summer of 2017, my wife, um, her name is Megan, and I, we traveled there with our two youngest for just a small little weekend getaway. So my wife and I had gotten married in January and our honeymoon was planned for June and we were going to go to New Orleans and we had this amazing honeymoon planned out and we were going to go for their pride celebration. But then of course, you know, life happened and we had other financial obligations and We have kids and all of that. So that trip got canceled. And honestly, we have planned that trip several times and it's always gotten canceled. But that's, I guess that's a whole other story. But nonetheless, my wife and I, we both had some time off work and we were like, we wanted to do something. And so we decided we would take a short little road trip And we were going to take the kids. Happy fucking honeymoon, right? (laughs) But so I had been to Eureka Springs once before. And I had even gone and visited the Basin Park Hotel. And I had taken this amazing historical ghost tour there. But when I went, I had gone with my ex. And... I remembered so much about this place, but I had no idea that being in a completely different headspace would change this location for me completely and totally. The other thing, and a lot of people don't really consider this when they're traveling, 
is whether or not a place is safe for a lesbian couple to travel. And my first instinct was, this is Arkansas, and I have no idea if this is going to be a safe place to travel for me and my kids. And of course, my lovely, very masculine presenting wife. But, you know, and sometimes when you go somewhere that's too rural, it makes for like really interesting travel as a lesbian couple. Like no words have actually ever been spoken to me about it, but I definitely have gotten some looks which kind of make it uncomfortable for everyone involved in the entire situation. But it it's always like it's never the destination that gets to me. I, I it's like I always try and pick bigger cities to go to. But uh it's the driving through the like extreme rural cities where there's like one gas station, one stop sign. That that's where I start to get a little bit nervous. <clears throat> and I know like for most people, it's they get nervous whenever they get too far into an urban setting or too far into the city. And even though I grew up in the suburbs, I feel so much safer in the city than I do in the country. And let me explain the logic that happens in my head. Um I have seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I know that that shit did not happen in the city. So there's that whole dynamic. But, you know, most of our trips, we do travel by car. Um, Like most of our adventures are short little road trips or long road trips, depending But, um, and I think that it just boils down to like, I grew up really poor and I really don't want to spend an astronomical amount of money. Like who the fuck wants to buy a plane ticket for a couple hundred bucks and then get a rental car for a couple hundred bucks and then get a hotel for a couple hundred bucks. I mean, like I don't ever want to spend unnecessary money. (laughs) So here we go. We're going on this adventure and we load up the car and we head out and it's the kids, Anna and Caleb. Those are the two that went with us and um, Megan and myself and we, the kids really don't pay much attention on road trips. I mean, for the most part, they had their headphones in and they were fucking around on their phones, but The drive into Eureka Springs from Kansas City was so incredibly beautiful. And Megan and I both have this like magical twinkle in our eyes when it comes to like a winding road that goes through trees or a forest or whatever. So, um, you know, I was really excited and it... The drive-in, the closer we got to Eureka Springs, the more beautiful the drive was. So we get to Eureka Springs and we start to plan out our trip. And I know that like you guys are probably like, what the fuck? You didn't have your trip planned out? Like who the the fuck are you? And Megan and I are very opposite when we travel. Like this woman, she wants an itinerary and she wants an Excel spreadsheet with a budget and she wants like 
very strict guidelines. We're going to go see this. We're going to spend this much. We're going to go see this between this time and this time. And then we're going to move on to the next destination. And I am the opposite. And I'm like, we can Google all we want. But the odds of us finding something that's really cool, that's highly likely. And once we get there and we've got this itinerary, you know, we're not going to we're not going to want to stray from that. And and I'm a very personable person. I want to talk to all the locals. I want to know all of the secret gems in a town. And so when we travel, we typically start out with a small little tour so that um we can see all the major landmarks. And then we can make the decision from there like, what do we want to go back and look at for ourselves? And uh, this trip was no different. We actually did a guided bus tour. And so once that happens, then I let Megan budget the hell out of our trip because that is what brings her happiness. And that is my job is to bring her happiness. So, um, so we did the guided bus tour. And they gave us a little history about the city. They gave us, a, you know, a little history about each location that we went to, drove past. And um, Eureka Springs is actually named after all of the springs that are located throughout the city. And Eureka, it is literally a word that people scream out in excitement when they find something. And so just like most things that once belonged to the First Nation and the indigenous people, um, Europeans had found this place in Arkansas, which was so sacred and so holy to the tribes in that area. And Eureka, (laughs) for fuck's sake. Yeah. So, um, but the Osage tribe in Arkansas, they had already found um, the spring that I'm going to talk to you about. And they had brought people from several other cultures. And they considered this spring to be a healing spring. It had healing properties to it. And as the European Americans were settling near the area, they absolutely agreed that this spring had healing powers. And... <laughs> You know, anytime there's a coincidence like that, I I just, I always find it so entertaining and I kind of get my kicks off of it and I'm like, hmm, sounds mighty witchy for some Puritans and Baptists, but (laughs) anyway, um, so in 1856, um, a man named Dr. Alva Jackson was credited Um, publicly for locating this magical spring. And this, folks, is why American history drives me fucking nuts. And I'm, I'm really sorry. Did I forget to mention that I am a very opinionated person? And I have such strong opinions about everything regarding political correctness, but you know, um, that maybe that should have been a disclaimer before you guys all got invested in this, you know, podcast. And I lured you in with episode one and then now we're on episode two and you guys are seeing my true colors. But, 
uh, consider this your disclaimer. Okay, so moving forward now, now you've you've been told. Um, so anyway, um, Dr. Alva Jackson, let's talk about him. I did a little bit of research and I honestly have no idea if he was a legitimate doctor, um, or if finding this magical spring with healing properties is what earned him the title of doctor. But um, I did find an article that said that while he was on a hunting or camping trip with his son, he had um, stumbled upon this spring that was near his campsite and the water had healed his son's eyes. And his son had suffered from an eye condition called granulated eyes. And um, I would imagine that it kind of went something like this where his son's eyes were hurting really bad and he goes to his dad and he's like, you know, they hurt really bad. And his dad says, you know, go over there to the spring and rinse your eyes out and see if that helps. And miraculously, the water from the spring made his eyes feel so much better than the water that he had been using, you know, just close by in their, in their area. And, um, this man just, he could not help himself. So he had a friend and he took his friend there um, to help heal him from his physical ailments. And it just so happened that his friend was a, um, a very prominent person of power and he was a judge. And so just that quickly, news spread all over town that Alva Jackson had discovered this healing spring. Eureka! <laughs> For fuck's sake. I just, I can't. But ultimately, the the city of, of Eureka Springs just kind of exploded from there. And Civil War soldiers were coming to Eureka Springs for the healing power of this water. And the spring was now known as Basin Springs. And um, some people were calling the water Dr. Jackson's Eye Water. And this, this town had gone from a very small population to an a boom town overnight. And it had also become known as a medical retreat. And so people were coming from everywhere, you know, all over the country and all over the world just to experience the healing powers of this water. And with all of those people came a need for hotels. And so hotels were built in this city including the Perry House Hotel. And I know, this story is supposed to be about the Basin Park Hotel, right? Well, let's get to that. The Basin Park Hotel was built at the site of the burnt down Perry House Hotel. Um, the Perry House Hotel had been um, owned and, I guess, constructed by a gentleman of the name of Captain Joseph Perry. And he was deemed an invalid. <clears throat> but he had come to Eureka Springs to visit 
and he had found the healing powers of the spring. And so he moved there and um, he ended up building this four story like luxury hotel. And for its time, it was it was amazing. It was built in 1884. But the thing is, is that the hotel was built completely out of wood and there were four major fires within a 10 year span in the city of Eureka Springs. And subsequently, the hotel, since it was built of wood, it burnt down. And the fire that happened when the hotel was burnt down took out a large portion of Spring Street. And that was like ultimately their business district. So instead of like a main street, because Eureka Springs is known for its springs, they called that street Spring Street. So this is, um, there's a lot of conflicting information as to whether or not the fire happened in 1888 or 1890. And it could be because there were, you know, there were multiple fires within 10 years, but the unanimous information is this, that several people died in the fire because they were unable to escape from the top floor of the hotel. And so, um, you know, I, I also find that pretty much any time I find a location that has any kind of haunted history to it, there's always some sort of weird, like, you never really get correct dates or anything. And and I just, I hate that because historically that stuff should be documented, but you know, it is what it is. But, um, so in 1905, a much more, like much, much more structurally sound hotel was erected in the same place of where the Perry House Hotel was at. And this was the Basin Park Hotel. And it was made of limestone limestone and domalite and it was built into the side of the mountain and this is really cool because each one of the floors is considered to be a ground a ground floor even still to this day that's how Ripley's like still um notates the hotel is that each floor is technically a ground floor level and so these iron catwalks were built from each floor to the neighboring mountain which is kind of cool because people could just walk out their floor onto the mountain and onto these trails. So um, ultimately, though, it made access to this hotel during the Prohibition, like, ideal. So over time, um, modern medicine became, like, the more common means of healing people. And so Eureka Springs had kind of noticed a decrease in tourism. And this hotel was actually, it became a speakeasy. And there was gambling and alcohol. And eventually, you know, word had quickly spread from Eureka Springs to like the Chicago area about this hotel. And so then we have this whole dynamic of, the mafia kind of gets involved and um you know it it's just you take the violence of the mafia and you take the fire 
Um, and both of those things make for like a really tumultuous like combination here. And that's just eras of residual energy. And so, I mean, the whole hotel has stories of lots of ghosts. There are stories from the ballroom. There are stories of a cowboy named John Chisholm who he floats in between rooms. And there are stories of a woman who she will tuck you in at night. And of course, there is, there's got to be a child haunting. So there's, there's a little girl. But None of these stories actually represent what my experience there was, but those are the most popular ghost stories. But so let's back up a little bit. And I think it's really interesting to mention that the hotel was made of limestone because just the other day, my sister-in-law, she came over and we were talking about my first episode and I had told her, you know, this is just something that I really felt like I wanted to do. And I felt like my gifts had been incredibly heightened lately. And she just kind of looks at me and she goes, you know, I told you that this house is surrounded in limestone. And that really increases your psychic abilities. Well, I do remember her saying that, but I had forgotten it. Basically, my wife and I bought a hundred-year-old house about seven months ago. And we're kind of situated up on top of a hill like we have to walk down several steps to get to the to the street. And um, at the edge of our property line, at the very front of our house, there's a limestone wall. And it just, it kind of just, like I said, goes right along the property line in the front of the house. And it's not a really tall wall. It's, it's actually really short. It's maybe two foot at most, but it's made of limestone, limestone. I don't know why I can't say that word today, but I, I cannot. Um, so here I am. And like, I like to do a little bit of research for every podcast and I'll be damned if this hotel is not made of limestone. And if any of you know me, you know that a fucking wormhole that leads to a conspiracy is one of my favorite damn things in the world. So I'm doing research on limestone and I end up like renting a 1972 British movie from Amazon and it's like made by the BBC. It's like a made for TV movie and fuck. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you guys just, you know the deal from there. So now I'm going to tell you guys about limestone. Limestone does assist in psychic gifts. And I think it's interesting that metaphysically limestone is a reminder of innocence. And remember back to the first episode where I said that I had gifts at one point in my life that I had repressed from my childhood. I thought that that was like a really interesting connection because a lot of people experience our most powerful gifts when when we're young. And I I think like you guys have all seen those posts about creepy shit that kids say that freak the fuck out of their parents on social media, you know? And, and I think somewhere along the line, like children are told, oh, you probably shouldn't talk about that. Or, you know, that 
you know, that's not right and, and things like that. And I think that that's how that somewhat gets repressed into a in, back, into the back of a child's mind. So uh, there's this thing called the stone tape theory, and that was the name of the movie. And, and it's an idea that a lot of like original ghost hunters and people who studied the paranormal, like dating all the way back to like the mid 1800s. So this is, this is their theory is that spoken words leave a permanent impression in the air and it can be accessed by people who have certain gifts. And like, it just kind of got my mind going. And, and like, when I think about it, like think about a conch shell, like one of those really big, like seashells. And when you put it up to your ear, you hear the ocean, right? But if I put, cut my ear with my hand, I don't hear the same sound. So is it possible that the shell is holding the residual sound from the ocean? You know, and I think about like the very first recordings because, you know, the stone tape theory, that's, it's like audio tape, you know, kind of thing. And they're done on like an old tape recorder and like the invisible molecules of your voice travel through the air and they imprint onto this magnetic tape. And so I'm thinking about this and I'm immediately bringing myself to like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where TV Mike, you know, he gets broken up into all these little particles and fucking flies through the air over to the TV. But okay, that's enough of my crazy ass wormhole. But the reason that I love wormholes so much is because they're just such food for thought, you know, kind of takes you outside of what you would normally think about something. And it just kind of makes you, it kind of, I mean, it just kind of puts things into a different perspective for you. And like, the other thing is, is like, so while I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm doing all this research about the Basin Park Hotel and the, um, it's quiet. It's, you know, early on a weekend morning. And like the only sound is from my headphones. Um, I've got, I'm listening to this 1972 movie and I'm just kind of Googling and, and whatnot. And the side door of my house, it goes flying open. And like, to be fair, it was like a very windy fall day in Kansas City. And I know I did not lock the latch, the deadbolt, you know, but I'm literally that person that when like the lights flicker, I'm like, oh my God, I, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be paranormal. There's gotta be a haunting. I completely and totally always ignore the fact that it could be like a fucking electrical problem. But anyway. So now I want to talk about my trip inside the Basin Park Hotel. And so Megan, Anna, and Caleb, they had never been there before. And like I mentioned, I had done that historical ghost tour, you know, years before in 2012. And I was in a totally different headspace now or then in, in 2017 when we went um, than I was in 2012 because my spiritual journey didn't really like kick off, kick off until like 2013. And so that was about a year after my initial trip. So the only information that 
my family had was what was mentioned on the bus tour. And the information that I had was more, but um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't remember a whole lot of the ghost tour, you know. And so um, the Basin Park Hotel, though, it is not the most popular haunted hotel in Eureka Springs. And so the bus tour, when we were on the bus tour, they kind of just drove by it and like popped out a few facts. The more popular hotel, though, the Crescent Hotel, and that is the sister hotel to the Basin Park Hotel. It was an actual stop on the on the bus tour. Like we were let off the bus and we were able to like walk around inside of the hotel as long as we play, stayed in public places. Like we were able to walk around, you know. And so uh, when we went back to the Basin Park Hotel, you know, solo outside of the bus tour, you know, <sighs> It's funny because all of my kids have completely different personalities and each of them have gifts that are, I've seen these gifts in these kids since they were really little. And Anna, even though she has this amazing set of gifts, she is also not a fan of creepy shit at all. But Caleb, Caleb, you know, he has no fucking fear and will almost do anything, you know? And so, you know, we're, I'm telling my family a little bit about the tour that I had taken, you know, five years before. And I asked them if they want to go back and visit. And the four of us walk into the lobby of the Basin Park Hotel and we walk up to the counter and there's this like, um, eight by 10 picture frame with the times of the ghost hunts or the ghost tours through, like it's a historical tour, but it's also a ghost tour. And we had missed the last tour of the day by the time we got back there. And honestly, like this was a short trip. So in order to fit everything in to accommodate the entire family, we would have had to have skipped something else in order to come back the next day and do the the tour. You know, and since I already knew Anna, she was not down for this part of the trip. I knew it wasn't going to happen. And so um, I I asked the, the person, you know, who's working the counter and I'm like, you know, I explained the situation and I asked, could we walk around? So since my wife and I travel to a lot of haunted hotels, <clears throat> I'd like to mention that most hotels with a haunted history, have these signs right at the edge of the lobby that say, um, guests only pass this point. And like, it's, it's just one of those things. They don't want people walking around, but you know, I had explained the situation to the lady. I did not see a sign and I had promised on behalf of my entire family that we were going to be respectful, but we just kind of wanted to take the, the tour. And um, Anna's whole contribution to this entire experience, she was like, nope, I'm going to wait in the lobby. And, you know, she was almost 17 and she really did not want any part of this. So I agreed to let her stay in the lobby and she had her cell phone. So if she needed me, she could call me and I could call her when we were done with the tour. And so this it's it's just one of those things like okay, I'm just kind of walking away from you. It's like leaving your kid and like trying to intimidate your child to 
follow you in a grocery store. <laughs> you're just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going. Are you, are you sure you're okay? And are you sure you want to wait here? And, you know, but she's 17 and she's like, yes, it's fine. And like, I could literally hear her rolling her eyes at me. So, um, me, Megan and Caleb, we, uh, we head off into the hotel and we're going to take this self-guided tour through there. And I'm trying to relay all of the information that I can relay from, um, from my memory, you know, about the, the haunted tour that I had taken. And we're looking around at all the beautiful, like public rooms and the, like the fixtures in the hallway were awesome. And like, even the numbers on the doors of each room, they were like the, the very gothic, um, pointy numbers, like American horror story numbers, you know, and we're just walking from one end of each hallway to the other end. And we're taking, um, a lot of pictures and things like that, you know, trying to catch images of orbs or whatever. And, you know, Megan and I had private late night conversations as couples do. And we had each talked to each other about our gifts. And I knew that we both had very different gifts, but I knew that we believed in very similar things. And this was the first time that we had actually walked into a place together that we knew was haunted. And like we had had trips before and things like that and like gone to places that had amazing metaphysical energy. But this was the first time that we had intentionally gone into a place that was haunted. And I was really, really excited to see what her response was going to be. And so you know, like I said, we took pictures and nothing really resulted from those pictures. Um, you know, and there was this feeling as we walked through each floor and I can't describe it. Like it wasn't fear. I wasn't scared, you know, and I didn't get a creepy feeling like somebody was following me or anything, but like maybe the best word I can use to describe it is that I was just a little sad. And I had known that something had happened there, which is what brought me there. And the fact that I had done the historical ghost tour, that probably contributed to that a little bit too, you know, and, but there was this sense of sadness. And one of the rooms that we went to visit was the ballroom. And this room, the ballroom of this hotel is said to have the most paranormal activity. And when I walked into that room, I remember this feeling of sadness just leaving me, which makes perfect sense because to me, this room is like a a room of celebration. You know, people are having a fucking ball. And, and so to me, I didn't, I didn't feel, I mean, it changed my mood, but I didn't experience anything that was like paranormal. But there were two rooms that really caught my attention. And the first room, I think, caught my attention because of its beauty. And for those of you who don't already know, I am a fucking crazy houseplant lady. Like, and the room that I loved so much was, it's an atrium. And so... It was a beautiful room and it had a glass ceiling. And I just, I remember walking in there and saying, God, I could have so many plants in here. 
And we had walked into that room from the hallway entrance. And so immediately your eyes are like drawn up to this beautiful glass ceiling. And um, they had these amazing mission style lamps that hang from that glass ceiling. And there were built-in shelves on almost every wall. And they were beautifully framed with mission style woodwork that like you could have seen throughout the entire hotel. But some of the walls, even though this was like an exterior or an interior, like inside the building room, they had the same limestone on the walls. And and I remember that Caleb loved the glass ceiling and he loved that it looked like we were outside because of the limestone walls. And so when we had walked in from the hall, immediately to the right, was a set of French doors. And I had heard what sounded like, I don't know, like kitchen staff um, just past the doors. But the room on the other side of those doors, it looked like it was a banquet room. So that made perfect sense to me. There were tables set up. And so I was like, oh, they're probably just getting ready for an event. And like I said, it was about mid-June when we took this trip to Eureka Springs. And it was really, really warm outside. And buildings like the Basin Park Hotel, I'm, I'm imagining that they don't have like central air conditioning like buildings now do. And so um, I noticed like little small air conditioner units in certain parts of the building, but it was really, really humid. And um, so anyway, um, we walked through the doors, from, you know, from the atrium into this room. And this banquet room is called the Ozark Room. And like immediately, as soon as I walked in, my <laughs> my vision got really blurry. And <laughs> just so we're clear, like I don't mean like medical condition blurry, like, <laughs> like I'm stroking out kind of thing. But it's like when your glasses get foggy when you go, go from like a cold temperature to a warm temperature. But it was cold in that room. And... I remember having goosebumps in that room and there were certain little pocket areas that were colder than others in that room. And I remember that I was wearing like a tank top and a pair of capris. And so like we walk in that room and my, and my glasses fog up, which is the opposite of how glasses fog up normally. Like normally your glasses lenses are cold and then walking into the heat is what fogs them up. So we go walking into this room and Megan is walking in front of me. She's kind of leading the way. And I'm just a couple steps behind her. And then um, Meg Caleb was directly behind me. And so when we walk in this room, you know, my glasses are all foggy. And I, I realized, you know, I, I should probably take my glasses off and like wipe them off on my shirt or whatever. And like I take my glasses off and it's still foggy. And so it wasn't my glasses. They hadn't fogged up, but the entire room was filled with fog. And we we aren't talking a little bit of fog. It, it was like fog on like a really crisp uh, fall morning as it's the temperature starts to rise when the sun comes up. Or it's like the amount of fog that, 
from a hot shower, like a really, really hot shower in the teeniest, tiniest bathroom. And so before I, I'm going to put my glasses back on and I noticed somebody walking from behind me and it was a man and he was, appeared to be a server of some sort. And I wasn't like concerned, like I had heard the kitchen staff from the atrium. So he goes to walk behind me and I said, excuse me. And I moved so the man could pass. And Megan turned around and looked at me. And then um, she like kind of watched the man walk out of the room. And from behind me, when I said, excuse me, Caleb says, what? Is Like, like he's responding to me. And I was like, I was just saying, excuse me. <clears throat> and so I get my glasses back on and, you know, the guy walks past me and I look at Megan and I said, man, I thought my glasses had fogged up, but you know, it's just really foggy in here. And Megan's like, yeah, it is. And it's really humid. And then Caleb, <laughs> Caleb said it. He said, what are you guys talking about? It's not foggy in here at all. And Megan and I just kind of like look at each other and I turn to Caleb and I'm like, <laughs> You, you don't see all the fog in here? And he's like, no, not at all. And I look at Megan and like, even though I knew what her answer was, I was like, you know, I asked her, I was like, do you see the fog? And she's like, yeah, I see the fog too. And, you know, my mind starts racing a hundred miles an hour and I start, there's gotta be some logical explanation. I mean, some logical explanation other than the fact that we're in a haunted fucking hotel, right? You know, Caleb's 12 and I was actually taller than him back then. And Megan's six foot. And so she's taller than both of us. And maybe he can't, maybe he can't see it because he's shorter than us and closer to the ground. And maybe the fog, was, <laughs> I can't believe that this was my thoughts, but um, maybe the fog was above his eye level. And so Megan and I are like, Caleb, like for real, like you really can't see this. And he's like, no, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. But both of us could see the fog and he, he really couldn't. And so like his height had to be the reason it, it had to be because he was shorter than us. And so I pull out my phone and I start to take a video and I record an entire 10 seconds and then like stop recording. And I go to show Caleb the video. The fog is not in the video. And Megan and I are like desperately trying to convince Caleb that the room is full of fog, but there's no evidence on this video. And he's just like looking at us like, you guys are fucking nuts. And so like we kind of banter back and forth for a little bit, but like it wasn't a big deal. We were just kind of like, you know, it's whatever. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because like, I know that there was, you know, like fog in that room. And I know that I can record fog like if I'm driving down a foggy road. But for some reason, this fog was not showing up on this video. Um, so we kind of like make our way out of that room and we're going to continue looking throughout the hotel. And we decide we're going to go back to the lobby and so we get down to the lobby and Anna isn't there. And so I'm like, well, she probably stepped outside. And so I grab my phone and I start to call her to see where she's at. And like at the same time, we're walking outside and then Caleb looks up a couple doors up and 
you know, he sees her sitting on a bench, you know, a couple doors down and, um, we walk up to her and we're like, Oh, did any ghosts come see you in the lobby? And she's like, no, I fucking stayed out here, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, so we're kind of razzing her a little bit because she missed this big adventure of walking around the hotel. And, you know, we were all really tired because, you know, we were, we had been walking around town all day. And so we start to head to the car. And as we're walking to the car, Anna asks us how the hotel was. And Caleb responds instead of me and Megan. And he tells her that Megan and I are crazy because we both saw a room full of fog, but it was completely normal to him. And so, you know, I've tried to put a different spin on it. And I'm like, no, there was a room completely full of fog and Caleb didn't see the fog. And like, Anna's so confused and she's, and like, Megan and I are defending what really happened and in normal Caleb sarcastic fashion, he's telling her that we're just crazy. And so Anna starts talking about how glad she is that she didn't go with us and she's glad she waited outside and we all get in the car and we all get in the, you know, get our seatbelts on and everything. And, um, I tell Caleb, I'm like, you know, we can go back to the hotel and I can find that guy that walked past us in that room and we can ask him if he thought it was foggy. And then Caleb says, what guy? And I'm just like, the guy who walked past us when we went into the Ozark room, you know, and I told him that this guy walked past me and I said, excuse me. And Caleb's like, there was no guy. And I was like, you even responded to me when I said, excuse me. Like I said, excuse me. And you were like, what? And he, and I said, I just said, excuse me. And he said, well, I thought you burped or something, you know? And this is the thing is there were people in that kitchen area. You can hear them on the video. And you can also hear in the video, you can hear Megan say, it's really cold right here and points to the center of the room. And Caleb, Caleb had to be confused. Like maybe he wasn't paying attention and he didn't see the guy. And I, I look at Megan and I was like, there was a man, right? And she saw him too, but she also saw the fog and like Anna's in the backseat and she's freaking out. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't go with you. And, you know, Caleb's just like, you guys are lost your ever loving minds. And I look at Megan and I say, what if we're the only two that saw that guy? You know, Megan saw ghosts for a long time and I think it got a little too scary for her. So she asked not to see ghosts anymore, but she wasn't really responding to my last statement where I said, what if we were the only two that saw that guy? But I had never seen ghosts before. That was not my gift. Well, I didn't think that it was, but that comes in a later story. Maybe it did. Maybe I just didn't know it yet. But here's the deal. I have like researched and tried to find as much information as I can about the Basin Park Hotel and the hauntings. And I'm trying to find information specifically on the Ozark Room. And I have done this from the time we left that hotel until recently. And 
that room just does not appear to be a point of interest for many people in this hotel. And then it happened just recently while I was researching for this damn podcast. You know, I have watched countless videos about this hotel and I have read countless blogs um, and of people's stories online. And somewhere tucked away where I guess I wasn't intended to find it until I researched for this particular episode, I found it. And I found one lone story about the Ozark Room. And it is said that the kitchen staff do not like going into this room. It is said that a former employee drowned in two inches of water in this room. I mean, I know that that's a fucking strange possibility, but that is the only thing I can find about this room in particular. But with that being said, it also said that from the staff, the most common reports from this room are people who, um, staff members who said that there is a man in this room, a waiter, and they have never seen him, but they have caught audio of footsteps of him in the Ozark room. And, you know, this is just what my experience was there. I don't know. I just wanted to share it with you. For the next episode, though, I am going to revisit the first episode. After my podcast launched, I sent the link to my mom I really had no idea whether or not she'd be able to figure out a platform to listen to it on. But, you know, um, she did and she listened to it. She's not mad, by the way, because I really thought she was going to be pissed. But she did have some input. And I really have spent the last couple weeks like processing this information and like trying to put pieces together. And honestly, I've interrogated the hell out of my mom. So... I do still have a full-time job and a life outside of this podcast. So I'm really hoping to give you guys a new episode every two weeks. Um, And I hope that I don't lose your interest in those two weeks um, while you wait for the next episode. But I really want to thank everybody for listening because this is fucking fun as hell for me. I love it. It's so great. But for those of you who are not following me on social media yet, you can find pictures and for this episode you can find a video associated with each one of my podcasts and please feel free to share my podcast actually I would like to ask you please to share it with at least one person uh again you guys just thank you so much I really appreciate it everybody listening in addition to the podcast you can find me in the following places Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Madam Jasmine's Dark Parlor, or you can reach out to me by email and tell me what you think at madamjasminekc at gmail.com. Just make sure that you're spelling Madam with an E and Jasmine without one.